All right, we're here for another episode of High Resolution Life. And uh, sorry, I had a cough there, but we, um, Jeff, and, Jeff is here again, and Jeff and I were just talking about my response to telemarketers, but it started with the uh, Leonard Bernstein quote. So uh, Jeff, enlighten us all again, and say it in your Jeffy voice, because it's so, it's so good. This will be our reply to telemarketers. <laughs> to make music more intensely, more beautifully, more devotedly than ever before. Okay, so the backstory on that is you're probably thinking, what are they? Are are they all right? Are they are they sane? Um, there is how many- much coffee have they had today? <laughs> I only had one cup. That's probably why I had a headache. I dehydrated me. But um, there was a telemarketer that keeps calling for a member of my family, which I think I guess I found out it's not actually illegal. But the amount of time these times they have been calling me over and over and over again is actually illegal at this point. Um, but I, instead of getting angry because I started yelling back at them and harassing them and whatnot, and they still keep calling and, you know, I probably kind of did it to myself by engaging them, but now I've decided to make a joke out of it. And now I, um, sing opera to them. So I'm like, oh, where we must find the person that you are looking for. We must go. We must find them. As I really liked the one melisma I did where I was like, oh, and then at that point they were just really, <laughs> they were just really quiet and they just hung up. So if you ever see me out in public around Altoona and you see me singing opera into my phone, it's because I'm trying to harass a telemarketer. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's another Bernstein quote here that applies. And I think it's the, in the olden days, everybody sang. you're expected to sing as well as talk. It was the mark of a cultured man to sing to your telemarketer. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm most going to do today is just take Leonard Bernstein quotes and add telemarketers to them. Yes, please do that. Just sprinkle it throughout the podcast. <laughs> so that has been my crazy project that I've been doing, but we had a conversation that we thought would translate well to podcasting and it was atonal music. Oh, so, the, yeah, well, the, the fun of atonal music. Yeah, Am so I why- right? Yes. So why don't you introduce everybody to what atonal music is? Oh boy. Oh boy. I was not expecting that on a podcast where I was going to talk about atonal music. How would you explain it to someone? (laughs) I think the best way of explaining it is, so, you know, we got music, you know, the songs we know, the songs we love, and, you know, you you got harmonies that you can kind of get into, and you don't even need to know, like, the name of those harmonies. I mean, just think of any pop song you think of, you know, and like, you know, what's a pop song you like? Me? Oh, uh, this could be controversial. Um, uh, 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 you're putting me on the spot. Oh, oh uh, Viva La Vida, Coldplay. Viva La Vida. Yeah, so you would say, like, that has a beautiful sound to it. You know, yeah. it's a pleasant sound. So Consonant. Yeah, it's very consonant. I mean, and the idea of atonality is almost like a rejection of you know, the notion of melody, you know, and a mostly consonant sound to, it's not that it goes necessarily to a mostly dissonant sound, but just kind of uh, one where it just doesn't matter if it's, you know, what it is, consonant and dissonance. And it gets really, uh, really mathy would be the only, (laughs) my um, super smart way of describing it there, you know, just a lot more numbers, um, one of the classes I actually had to take this semester is post-tonal theory. You know, say that five times fast. Post-tonal and theory, post-tonal theory, post-tonal theory, 
Th- yeah, oh. you made it to three. <laughs> <laughs> I failed. <laughs> so, and a lot of it is straight up math. It reminds me much of an algebra class. Uh, I think almost one thing, and you know, if uh, you have time, you could put one in here or you could just cut out what I'm about to say next would be maybe to like give them a little sample of like some, you know, atonal music, you know, well, maybe yeah. some Schoenberg yeah. or. Oh, Wozniak. <laughs> oh, I love Wozniak. <laughs> and it's not that it's bad. It's just that uh, what we were discussing about was, is we kind of feel that it got a little out of hand. I I know it could probably be offensive because I know other colleagues and, you know, m- very learned musicians who just love atonal music. And there's parts of it that I do really enjoy. Like um, there's an opera, uh, um, uh, Marco Polo that I like. Um, I believe that's the one it's called, Mark. Well, hold on a second. I have, you know, we all have goldfish brain now from <laughs> all being on our smart- smartphones. Opera, Marco Polo. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Marco Polo. It was written by uh, Tan Dun and is set to an English libretto by Paul Griffiths. Um, oh, Tan Dun. I like his stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, his stuff is what we would call be a weird sound because it doesn't follow the format that we're used to. Most all pop songs that we listen to follow the one, the Roman numeral set of uh, music theory, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a major key, we have the first chord that's based on, let's say it's C major, right? C, D, E, F, yeah. uh, C, D, E, F, G, A, B. The triad that you build on the first, this cat needs to get off my lap. <laughs> Sorry. The triad that you build <coughs> based on the, um, uh, what is it? What is that tone called? What's that first note called? It's called tonic. The tonic, yes. yeah. Yeah, well, the triad that you built on tonic. And ask me a question. Can you hear this? Yeah, I can hear it. Okay, so, you know, you're talking about your, to- you know, the, the scale. You know, and that yeah. brings us from C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. Yep. And so that, yeah, mm-hmm. and that, that first, first chord that you build is major, right? So play that one. Yep. Exactly. And that's built on, yeah, you know, you got your tonic, what we like to call the mediant, and the dominant. Yep, yep, so that is the first chord. Then the second chord is minor. And that's going to be... D minor, a, then uh, the third chord is minor. That's built on the mediant. Uh, mm-hmm. And then... Uh, fourth chord is major. Fourth chord is major. That's built on the sub... That's not the sub-mediant, is it? Sub-dominant. Sub-dominant, you're right. And then, then we get our dominant. And yep, and then that, so that's the fifth that we call that the perfect chord, the fifth, the dominant. And then uh, so the next one is minor. Yep. And then the next one is diminished. Am I correct? Yep, diminished, and it next. goes right. And really, the only important thing, if you're not huge into theory, is a lot of pop songs will take. The, the one. one. Yeah, so play the one, and then it'll be four. Four. And the five. Oh, and, and the, the six. And sometimes they will work in the six. You know, there's a lot of times you can kind of skip it, but a lot of times those are going to be your four big chords. And the most important thing to really even remember on that one is five always wants to go back to one. Yep. And it always wants to, you know, just think about it. It wants to go home. They all want to go home. Yeah. I don't think we all want to go home. We've all been home too much. <laughs> a <laughs> little bit you know we we we, we want to go to that seventh chord just in there we want to you know <laughs> but a lot of like you know popular songs you know especially you know especially a lot of blues you know 
are going to be based off, you know, well, not just blues, but, you know, pop songs, you know, they'll either have like a one, two, five or a one, four, five in them. And it's like, will be those three chords over and over. Oh, what is that? What is that uh, that everybody should listen to? It's the four chord song. Oh, yes. You know, whether it's about a canon and D and how everything is like those four chords, you know. Axis of Awesome, the four yeah. chords. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's pretty much what what all different songs do they list in there? I'm pulling it up. Oh, God. They bring in like uh, Green Day have... and. Oh, know. here's the list. So these are the songs that use these four chords. So, Jeff, can you play the one, play the C major? So it's usually they do C and then go to F. And then go to the A minor. And then go to G. And then back to one. That's usually how they structure it, right? Oh, yeah. And you, yeah. I mean, like, if you just want to make that like a doo off, you could have. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so these are all the songs that use this structure. So here we go. I'm going to read all of them. Are you ready? I am ready. Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Don't <laughs> stop. Okay. And then You're Beautiful, James Blunt. Where is the Love, Black Eyed Peas. Forever Young, Alphaville. I'm Yours, Jason Mraz. Hey Soul Sister, Train. Wherever You Will Go, The Calling. Can You Feel the Love Tonight, The Lion King. Don't Matter, Akon. Take Me Home, Country Roads, John Denver. <gasps> <laughs> paparazzi lady gaga with or without you you too pictures of you the last good night she will be loved maroon five. Oh, i like that song let it be <laughs> the beatles i'm such a typical girl like like you know i mean like i think the beatles is the most famous one you know it's <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 no woman no cry bob marley sex and candy marcy playground land down under men at work the theme from America's Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, Jack Johnson, To Become One, Spice Girls, Take On Me, uh-huh. When I could, they work all of these songs in this. The Four Chord Song by Axis of Awesome. I'm not even halfway through yet. When I Come Around, Green Day, Save Tonight, Eagle Eye Cherry, Africa by Toto, If I Were a Boy, Beyonce, <laughs> oh, Behind These Hazel Eyes, Kelly Clarkson, In My Head, Jason Derulo, Oh, that's an old one. Holy cow, that that really did not. Yeah. I don't think that really held up as a, as a classic. I almost forgot that existed. <laughs> um, but bu- 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 let me try that again. Bullet with butterfly wings, the Smashing Pumpkins, One of Us, Joan Osborne, Complicated, Avril Lavigne, Self Esteem, <coughs> excuse me, The Offspring, You're Gonna Go Far, Kid, The Offspring, Beautiful Acon. Apologize, Timberland featuring featuring One Republic. I'm not done yet. Love the yeah, way like... you fly. Eminem <laughs> featuring Rihanna. It's my life. Bon Jovi. Poker face. Lady Gaga. I'm gonna go at the speed of Ben Shapiro. Here we go. Barbie Girl by Opera. Other side by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Double the Rainbow. The Gregory Brothers. Kids. MGMT. Time to say goodbye. Andrea Bocelli. Odd Lang Syne. Robert Burns. Superman. Five for Fighting. Bird playing the Axis of Awesome. And Scar by Missy Higgins. Ooh. What do you think? Did I speak at the speed of Ben Shapiro? Oh, yeah, speed of light right there. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think that actually proves the point well is that, you know, there's so many pop songs based on that. And it's not like 
you know, like every pop song uses that, but it's that idea that they're all based on, you know, this tonality that, you know, has kind of a logic to it. So when we start looking at atonal music, let's stop looking at them in terms of chords and almost just start looking at them in like tones and almost just like numbers. They almost like take the notes out of it. So instead of getting a nice, lovely... And that wouldn't even be out of bounds for an atonal piece. It actually may be too tonal. Now, Bartok and Scriabin, they do this. <laughs> they do they do what the example that you gave, it might be different. Like there's from a diary of a fly by Bartok from his uh, mm -hmm. metamorphosis. And it sounds like a fly. It's ba 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 And you do get some really cool stuff in that, you know, especially with like Bartok or like one from his uh, out of door suite that's supposed to be like insects in the night. Oh, you know, yeah, that's yeah. a really good one. Or uh, one of my personal favorites from this one is uh, Leo Ornstein's Suicide of an Airplane, which captures this moment of like, you know, a crashing airplane. And it was written in the, you know, the early part of the um, 1900s. So like it has notes in there that mimic the sound of the uh, propellers and stuff like that. And it's a really cool idea. So they do some really, really cool things with this. Uh, the problem can sometimes just be it goes really far, you know, I mean, like, as it went on, it gets to a moment, I'm trying to remember who said it, but basically, they get to this point where it's like, oh, man, you can't have two notes next to each other, because that might suggest a melody, and that would be <laughs> bad, you know, like, well, yeah, and there are some operas that works really well for, so like, Vazak, which was already a play before it became an opera, it was written by Albin Berg, he was a student of Schoenberg, and I do want to preface all of this, that, I know people who are experts on atonality, literal experts. Like that's what they specialize <laughs> in. So what we are talking about, we're just kind of giving a crash course that was based on the really disgruntled rant that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and really, and even on that rant, just to pre preface that a little bit, it's not even really, you know, based on anything other than our own anecdotal experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty much, you know, that we've been pianists and musicians for so long and we taught it and everything and all that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that being said, I am not an expert. This is just us shooting the breeze with our specialized education in music as pianists and, you know, me as a singer and, you know, an organist. So I, I don't want to be, I just have a specialized knowledge base, but there are people who have an even more vastly specialized knowledge <laughs> base on atonality. So they could give you a much better opinion, but we're just kind of giving a crash course here. That now there is a, there is actually a great video of um, Leonard Bernstein talking about uh, modern music. I mean, it's kind of funny. We've been talking about him to start this off. And I do like the line he gives about it where he's basically like, well, if you, you know, even if you decide to still dislike it, you know, after all this, you can at least dislike it more intelligently. And I always <laughs> thought that was kind of funny. You can dislike it more intelligently. That's, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to dislike something, at least don't be ignorant about it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like, and a lot of this, you know, we're also like, as soon as we start actually talking about it, we shifted from this angry rant to, oh, I like this piece. I like this piece. I like this piece. You know? like, yeah, I, I accidentally, I accidentally changed my opinion because we were all disgruntled, but um, it was a couple days ago, so I think we were, you know, I don't know how much coffee we had, you know, how much, it's, um, but um, I think one of the parts we were talking about, though, seemed to be 
like not necessarily atonality in itself because you know atonality happened they experimented with it it got real crazy for a while and then kind of in the mainstream they kind of went to neotonal music so where they're combining you know things of both and you're, you're gonna find like most music in that like when you hear a lot of film scores, you know, like John Williams or Hans Zimmer, stuff like that. They're using tonal music, but with like an expanded tonality that's been gained through the experimentations of atonal music. So oh. even at the end of the day, it's an important step we had to take. Um, but we, I did kind of feel when we were talking about it that like, it did feel at least for a little bit that man, they just really go too far with it sometimes in the academic setting. Yeah. That's, that's my thing. I feel like all the new, I wouldn't say all, but a lot of the new things that we're exposed to from classical music. Oops. I was, I was looking down, not looking in the microphone. Sorry. I don't have to look in it. I have to speak into it. Okay. <laughs> I've had a long week. Um, I think, I don't know. I feel like it turns people off to classical music because they have this idea of what classical music is now and they think all of the new stuff is all atonal. And I don't think that's the case. It was almost like this idea too that got put in there that, man, if something had to be made, it had to be 100% original and it just made things, things got weird, you know? I mean, and for every cool piece, like, you know, um, I may, I may get myself in trouble for this one. So <laughs> I was just deciding how much trouble I want to be in. So uh, ISU has a contemporary music festival. Um, I don't know how they're, you know, what they're going to do about this year, but they used to like to brag about how it was one of the largest ones in the country, you know. Um, don't know how true that was, but they did kind of basically make all the students go to it. Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, I mean, as a music, so it was music students that had to go. I mean, it was open to the public too, but like I could not graduate unless I went to so many events from the Contemporary Music Festival over my time there. Uh, okay. You know, and I'm not going to lie. It was a slog because a lot of it was um, either very boring or weird or just badly played because like also in the academic setting, we're not allowed to focus on new music that much. So you do get a hold of an atonal piece of music or any kind of modern classical music and you can't necessarily spend the same length of time on it that I would be able to give to Beethoven or Chopin or something like that. Um, so it would lead to just a really drawn out, exhausting week, you right. know, where every sound you hear is like this, this wall of clashing sound where none of it makes sense. And I mean, like there is a logic, there's a lot of logic that goes into this. And when you actually start analyzing it and breaking down the structure, it actually becomes really interesting to look at, but sometimes beyond that aspect of it, like you don't feel like the magic of music is quite there in the same way. Right. You know? um, I actually recently a person um, for in that post-tonal class uh, did describe it as uh, he feels it was just composers sitting around inebriated all the oh, time. Oh, no. You know, and he's like, they're just inebriated all the time and telling each other, oh, look what I can do. You oh, know? no. And I, of course, and I started thinking about it and I said, well, isn't that like part of the fun when you're younger is just yeah, to <laughs> Well, I'm not. I'm not suggesting doing any of that. Like no. it's, well, <laughs> but there, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, but I mean, it's experimenting, you know? Right. Uh, and it's like, well, they need to be allowed to experiment, you know, even if it's, um, even if it, in the long run, it feels a little asinine. Right. Well, um, there was actually something with, correct me if I'm wrong, I remember reading somewhere that Schoenberg, you know what, I'm going to look this up before, because <laughs> I remember reading it anecdotally, but I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to pull a uh, bad podcast host and just like, go off and say something but we we need a third person who could just do all of our research for us and we just we, need a and be like, we do we know just be like look that up wait okay because i had remember reading at some place and i don't know if i hallucinated this or something where Schoen, schoenberg was pushing for atonality because he felt that the rules of classical music using um our modern theory rules the well, the theory rules we've been using to create classical music were shackled by religious belief like judeo-christian beliefs did i imagine that um i don't remember hearing that one i know the one thing that like uh you know is is that he was definitely very well versed in tonal music and i mean he was actually like quite a big fan of some of it i think he really liked uh I want to say it was Brahms. I mean, of course, and like a lot of it does more come out of, you know, what Liszt was starting to do. And then uh, we get into Debussy, you know, <laughs> like you really kind of start uh, bursting that open for everyone. But um, yeah, because now this, we're starting to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. I don't know if it was Schoenberg, but it sounds like one of those guys would have definitely said that. Okay, so um, this is an article uh from jason garancy garancy i'll i'll link it in the podcast um where he said uh it's something from a piece oh from the national post okay who did this okay okay this did not this took me to a whole different page uh, today, Schoenberg's, Schoenberg's genius, if not his saleability, is questionable only to insincere people, though Schoenberg himself had doubts. He said that God was telling him to say something new, but his mortal ears could not absorb God's message. So instead of being pleased with having a few bonafide masterpieces under his belt, Schoenberg was often depressed, da 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 his music was a derivative of the human condition rather than accurately recording what God was telling him to say. Man. Uh, hold on. He wasn't a showman. Oh, oh, okay. So his creation of atonality was like, was uh, he thought he was closer to God's message by birthing this new style of music into being. He said, oh man, that's almost like the exact opposite of what you were. Wow. Well, sure. I mean, I guess it's along the same lines. I think he was an atheist though, if I remember correctly. (laughs) I don't know. Well, I guess. Schoenberg believed that he was closer to God's message now and he never went back to tonality. His conviction influenced generations of composers who felt that a return to true tuneful tonality was a backward tendency. Fascistic. Fascistic. Help me say Fascistic. Fascistic. Oh, what even? Okay. So they felt like tonality was a shackle on true creativity, which pretty much proves the point that you were saying. Yeah, and I mean... It makes sense because, you know, if if we look at the history of, uh, you know, like Western classical music, like it's kind of expanding its tonality since like day one, you know, I mean, you go back to, you know, like, like the Gregorian chants and how they kind of slowly go from that to, you know, kind of like 
the you know scales and stuff we get and all that and then that kind of gets expanded away from just like the one the four and the five and you kind of see what the you know different classical uh, musicians are expanding on that and so it does kind of make sense that there goes a point where they're just going to like throw it out for a little bit you know like it was constantly expanding until like it was going to collapse okay yeah so they were feeling that the old compositional rules that we had that revolved around tonality because there's certain rules that you have to do whenever you're in composition class. Oh yeah. You know, and I mean, and I think one of the problems, one of the problems here in a sense is like how we learn these things, especially in the academic setting is we're not necessarily taught that theory is uh, more of a descriptive practice and not a prescriptive one, you know, and what I mean by that is just, you know, you know, we're, we're, we think of it as, oh, no, this is the instructions of how to do it right. Not necessarily, no, this is just a system we made so that we can understand what that composer was doing. Because, like, every composer has, like, a unique voice that you can actually find in how they're composing pieces. Right. Okay, that would make sense. So then if they have to keep following those composition rules, they feel that they're losing the opportunity that they can have their unique voice and how they actually want to express the piece. And the only other, you know, bad side of this too seems to be is, is for those composers out there who are composing classical music, good classical music, who um, they decided to take more of a tonal route, you know, because they still, you know, maybe they're just in love with the idea of melody, you know. Um, they will sometimes run into basically kind of blocks on their creative output just because they're not being accepted because they're choosing to go with tonality over atonality. And that's mostly where I start having a problem with it. Like it has shut down a lot of voices, you know, especially a lot of compositional voices who might be really good at just writing a nice tune, you know, that can stick in your head for days. Right. Right. Though I did find a nice, um, actually kind of relevant quote to this real quick that I was going to read to you. Yeah, go for it. Okay. A liberal is a man or a woman or a child who looks forward to a better day, a more tranquil night, and a bright, infinite future away from telemarketers. Ah! Ah! Leonard Bernstein. Place anything with telemarketers. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> did you did you use did you use the other quote yet? This will be our answer to telemarketers. I uh, thought we started the podcast off with that one. Did we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. I gotta I gotta like um <laughs> You can make a whole opera from this. This is great. The Leonard Bernstein versus telemarketers, a one act opera. <laughs> I could be Get like, on that. I could be like box coffee opera. <laughs> <laughs> make that an opera, you know, uh, piano and voice, one person opera of just them like singing to telemarketers. It actually probably would work. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm not going to start recording some of this? Oh, <laughs> oh my god but yeah i mean like and and, and all this is a little bit like oversimplifying the fact you know i mean just like but it's just like when hearing the music that is you know pushed 
as some of the modern music, you'll just find that some voices are sometimes like drowned out because they're not oh, yeah. being experimental enough for somebody's taste or something like that, you know. For me, I just have trouble with some atonal stuff because it just... I honestly, yeah, my ear and most people's ears, if you're used to Western tonality, are used to hearing that one four, one four five six structure. You're always wanting to go back to tonic, always go back to tonic. And then music that was composed like in the Greek times as well, they said that the structure of it still had one that was going back to a tonal center. Like even when they didn't have modern tonality all fleshed out just yet. Mm-hmm. So. And that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, because as we also see, just if we look at the way other musical styles develop, just, you know, across the world, you know, or anything like that, like there does seem to be a few things that kind of go universal in them. You know, we we all do have the same ears, you know, for the most part. Right. Well, and I also read an article where we're, um, we, we want to hear crappy music like not all i don't think all pop music is crap i really don't i like a lot of pop music a lot of it's really fun oh yeah you know like it's a it's really fun to listen to i mean i am at this point sometimes and i it's my it's it's my fault it's no one else's fault Uh, but my own you are such a music snob sometimes yeah it's true and you know like there's there's moments that i cannot shut my brain off you know and i'll hear a pop song and i'm just immediately like analyzing it and like i wish i didn't you know because i know that kind of ruins the point you know of a lot of uh, pop music um but it is something that's become very ingrained at me at this point and i've just uh well you know i just can't shut it off you know right. <laughs> that little voice in my head hear yeah, this knob voice oh this is just not good enough for me oh is this not a wine from, you know, the vintage of 68? I, want, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know where that was going. I Lady have no clue. I'm backing out of it, you know. Lady Gaga does not not please if I, Jeffrey Hampton. What is that, the Beatles? That is not good enough for me and my corgis. Play Haydn, play Beethoven. I don't need this. I don't need this. I will tell you the down. I will tell you the down part is I think I've been burnt out on Chopin for like a decade now. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and, and and I'll have to tell like you know friends I'm like I don't really like playing Chopin anymore. I've just played so much of it and I know I'm like speaking heresy. You know. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's just like the thing. It's like that one I sent to you before that picture. It's like how to tell when you're a professional. I don't enjoy this at all anymore. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no. Um, yeah, I had accidentally changed my opinion on my gripes about atonal music because actually. I think it just depends on the purpose of what you're using atonality for because atonal music works so well for Vazek. You know, also, if you just want to take it and see where um, atonal music works, you know, best in a more, you know, contemporary setting is just like, listen to a lot of music in a horror movie, you know, the next time <gasps> oh. you're watching one. Especially with, you know, like Halloween coming up, you know, within like a, you know, close to a month now. Oh, like, right. They're using a lot of atonal techniques to, you know, make tension, you know, with the music in the film. So, I mean, it, you know, it's definitely something that has been good overall, you know. Right even though I've had moments of frustration with it. 
I have. I have too. It's just, I just don't like to hear it sometimes. But <laughs> you're right. It does work really well for horror movies. Um, I think I love Vazek because it is an opera about a guy going insane. And he can't get any resources and help for his mental health issues. Ooh. And so he's going undergoing these medical experiments and it's making, I believe it's his schizophrenia worse. So the, oh, no. Yeah. So you don't really know anything about Vazek, do you? Uh, who did that one again? You said, Albert uh, Berg. Berg. Who, who was a student? Uh, you know, I've, I, I've heard of it. I've listened to parts of it, but it's not one that I have sat down and watched like I need to. Oh, yeah. you should. It's so good. Ah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, he was an Austrian composer. It was so great because uh, the main character, Vazek, he's an anti-hero, which means he's there to screw things up. So you're, it's like, yeah, you can't root for him, but he's the main <laughs> character, but you can't root for him. But the poor guy is going out of his mind because there's a doctor and I believe a, a captain because uh, the guy's in the army, but then there's a, or some kind of branch of the military. And uh, what's messed up is when you go throughout the opera, he's just getting crazier and crazier and crazier and having these crazy dreams, right? And by the end of the opera, um, he kills the mother of his child. So his baby mama stabs his baby mama. And then he's trying to get rid of the murder weapon. And it's largely because this guy's lost his mind due to the experimental medical treatments that he's getting from the doctor who and that's what he, he's getting paid for that but then he's losing his mind they're not actually caring for him they're just making money off or they're just giving him money taking advantage of his poverty uh which you know is highly relevant i think now in this day and age but um let's see uh where was i going with that but the end of the opera is so good because uh what happens is and if you listen to it it's just oh the atonality works so great for it mm-hmm. everything turns red and uh. uh what he's saying let me find the uh let's see vase and the scene let me find the end of the libretto it's so good um Vazek, uh act three he ends up screaming, as blood, as blood. So he's just screaming blood. He's saying everything is red as blood. The moon is red. The water is red. Everything is red as blood. And uh, so then um, he ends up drowning because he's trying to get rid of the w- murder weapon. And then even in the stage directions, the moon is red. And the doctor and the captain, they walk by. Yeah, the captain and the doctor walk by and they hear Vazek screaming, right? And they hear him moaning, and then they just go, oh, what is that moaning? It's so unpleasant. Let's just, oh, it's not good to listen to it for too long. Just keep walking. How screwed up is that? Yeah. Oh, God. Right? So this guy was just, his mental health was just tanking and yeah. the way that the atonality is used in the opera is just fantastic. It's, it's, it's so good. I was freaked out my students at the community college showing them the the clip they're like this lady's crazy i don't want to watch this this is really depressing <laughs> no there's a that that's actually one of the great thing about operas is so many of them are just insane like you know <laughs> like over the top in like some of the best ways like you know like i mean so and i i'm just like it's like over the top in the same way like professional wrestling is over the top but they're <laughs> singing and there's murdering and there's like so much stuff going on, you know? That is, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Opera so over the top. It is a blast. It is really fun to start watching. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I would almost just like recommend to anyone just dive in, you know, and just 
Oh yeah. <laughs> You'll find something pretty crazy pretty quickly. Like I think what was it like two, maybe three years ago, me and some friends stumbled on that they had a opera about a uh cricket. What? Yeah, it was just like someone had wrote like a forty minute opera about a uh cricket that they was like on the verge of extinction or something like that so they wrote wow an opera and it was basically just like this you know scientist who's trying to get the word out about this cricket to save the cricket but then he's visited by the ghost of the cricket (laughs) it was like you know it was like a it was like a soprano (laughs) what kind of fever dream is this (laughs) it was um Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was it was really fun to watch, though. It was so crazy. So, what? I'm trying to find it. You're like, where is opera about cricket? I am right for this one. (laughs) The wait, the opera that's about a cricket. Where is it? Huh? I can't find it. I will. I think I have it in here somewhere because I was used to be on the group because it was like just in this one city, and then they like one New Year's Eve was like going to stream it. I was like, oh my god, to my friends, I was like, we're going to watch this. On that note, though, have you ever heard what the song of cricket sounds like when you stretch it out over the same lifespan that a human lifespan would be? Um, no, I haven't. I'll put the link again. I'm I'm running. I'm starting to come up with a whole bunch of links I have to put in here, but it's so cool. It sounds All like this. Links. It sounds like this gospel choir, and you know, you hear that <laughs> with a cricket, right? Mm-hmm. Then when you hear it when it's slowed down, it's like Ooh, I'm like, oh my god! Oh, oh, I actually have heard that one before, but it's yeah, no, such a it's cool crazy. Sound. Like it gives me goosebumps just like thinking of it. Mm-hmm. So cool. I'm still looking up this opera for the cricket. It was. <laughs> I want to know this cricket opera. Was that atonal? Uh, I think it was mostly atonal, yeah. Wow, okay, that, that would be something. See, let's see if it's the grasshopper opera. No. Oh, a grasshopper. Or is it no, a locust? It was, is it a locust? It was a locust. Yes. Let's look it up. That's it. It was like, lo- yeah, locust, the opera. An opera about locusts. Okay, so this is from Wyoming Public Media. You an environmental, that, right? yeah, an environmental murder, murder mystery. mystery. Oh. Hey, of course, University of Wyoming would do this. Um, yeah, I think you can actually like watch a performance on there, post it on their uh, web, on their Facebook page from like 2019. Um, had a little, I had a lot of fun watching it. I actually kind of enjoyed it, but it is kind of it, it, it's crazy, you know, in, in that way that operas are crazy. The audience will be equipped with sheets of cellophane, then using a certain code that the conductor will teach them, they will make the sound of a swarm passing through the auditorium. What? Yeah. Locust. Yeah. The opera. opera. What? (laughs) Blomster says he has a personal connection to the Rocky Mountain locust. His great-grandfather settled in South Dakota in the late 1800s and survived locust swarms. Dude, locusts are freaking huge. I would not want to have to go through a locust swarm. Oh, I know. They're big. Okay, you know what? 
COVID as a as as an epidemic, a pandemic. Okay, the plague, not that bad. The biblical locust plagues of 2020. Where is this happening? <laughs> Ew! Yeah, no. Happening. East Africa is seeing its worst swarms of locusts in many decades. How can these mm-hmm. ravenous pests be stopped? Okay, y'all, we all need to start praying for forgiveness because all of us have collectively been screwing up a lot. Get on your knees. Oh man, they are big. That there's that one that's like as thick as your hand, G. Oh, that's disgusting. And then they're oh my god, so this is happening in Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's been happening for a little bit, too. <gasps> that is They've so been really scary. struggling with it the past year. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. It's been really rough on that one. Wow. So this is happening in Kenya, the worst they've seen for 70 years. Yeah. Experts are concerned that swarms later in the year will be even larger. That's horrifying. Oh, yeah. That is terrifying. I would not want to deal with that at all. In 2020, locusts have swarmed in large numbers in dozens of countries, including Kenya, Ethiopia, Uganda, Somalia, Eritrea, India, Pakistan, Iran, Yemen, Oman, and Saudi Arabia. Wow. Yeah. When swarms affect several countries at once in very large numbers, it is known as a plague. Yeah. This reminds me. This reminds me of the... um, uh, This reminds me of that meme where it's that guy from, uh, what was that one? When, when Ramses sees you're only dealing with one plague. That cracked me up. <laughs> so when Ramses. Yeah, sees you only dealing with one <laughs> What movie is that from? Dealing... The Prince of Egypt? No, no, no. It was, it was an older movie. It has, uh, oh, well, who was that guy? Wow, I really need Are to you thinking it. of uh, the Charleston Heston one? I, was it? I don't. Oh, oh. Ten Commandments. Yes. Yep. Yep. It's the Ten Commandments. Yes, that's great. That th- makes me think of that meme. Huh. Ramsey's watching you complain about just one plague. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, my knee hit my microphone there. Sorry for that sound. Oh, here's another relevant quote. Okay. To achieve great things, two things are needed. A plan and peace from telemarketers. <laughs> Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> We're replacing everything with telemarketers. Well, what have you done to deal with telemarketers? Uh, I don't answer the phone. Ah. I just let it I just let go to voicemail and be like, Yeah, I don't want to talk to you. Have a good day. Maybe I should just do that. Like I know my uh I know my father, he's retired now. He'll actually keep him on the phone and like toy with him a little bit because that's how he deals with his annoyance on it. Oh, so it's kind of like me. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if it's morally responsible for me to do that because it's just somebody who has a job. You know what I mean? It's like, but it's still kind of fun because it's like, don't take a job like that. Harassing people. They're not even trying to get a hold of me. They're trying to get a hold of a member of my family. I'm like, why? And they just won't take no for an answer. And you're just like, Goodbye. Goodbye. Take me off your list. Bye, bye, bye. I think it's one of those things like then they'll tell you, oh, it takes like 10 days to get off the list. And I'm like, why? I keep telling them to take me off the list. And they're like, who are you? I'm like, you're the one who called me. I don't have to tell you who I am. I am not who you're asking for. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. Take this number off the dang list. (sighs) 
Well, I haven't heard anything since I sang the opera. I didn't hear anything yesterday. I haven't gotten a call today. Wouldn't it be our luck if they called while I'm on the podcast with you? I mean, I would ask to talk to them. And that I would, would uh, be... you know, uh, I'd talk to them about Leonard Bernstein. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'd just be like, but but I'd act like I'm, I'm uh, that, that Leonard Bernstein is someone they should get a hold of to sell something to, and then see if they realize that um, they're not going to know who that is. Yeah, so have a little fun with it, you know? <laughs> Toy with it. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, what pieces do you like that are atonal? So I said I like Wozniak. Mm. Which do you like? There's a lot of them. Okay, so I really like Henry Cow's uh, "The Banshee." Well, why? What, and what it's, is that? Um, well, it's one for prepared piano. So basically, instead well, of playing prepared a, piano, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, prepared piano. So basically, uh, sometimes a prepared piano, there's like no specific one way of doing it, but you're basically using non-traditional ways of playing the piano. So in some music, people literally put erasers between the strings or things like screws and nuts and bolts, and they'll give the piano quite a different sound. And so you know, you can find some of the music of John Cage that he makes did use that, of yes. this. Is, yeah. Uh, Henry Cow, like he has ways of just like literally like playing on the strings and stuff like that um, instead of like playing on the keys. And what you get is a piece that actually sounds like, you know, the, the wailing sounds of a banshee, you know, quite right. monstrous sound, you know. Um, it is kind of like one of those like sound effect piece that I really, really kind of like. Um, I also like a lot of... Uh, uh, Leo Ornstein's music, who um, he uses a lot of clusters, you know, and you know, you, what's there's, a cluster there's fancy... sound like? Can you play that on your piano for the audience? Whoever's listening, what's a cluster? I mean, it's, it's really just like all the notes. <laughs> You know. See, I do that. I do that when I get frustrated. Oh yeah, me too. You know, um, and he'll and he'll make great use of that and use it in you know to give a lot of his music kind of a savage uh, sounding um, tone to it. Um, there's other composers who kind of start making use of it. You know, Copland. I like the music of Copland. Um, oh yeah, Copland. Yeah, he kind of goes. He he does atonal and tonal works, doesn't he? Yeah, when he wants, you know, like he kind of started going more that direction, you know, the older he got. Um, Shostakovich, who would also kind of like take elements of it, you know, but their music can at times remain quite tonal, you know, right. Samuel Barber. So, I mean, there's a lot of composers I like who take elements of it, but then kind of don't fully go down the rabbit hole. You know? Yeah, because like, um, I just feel like it's too much because our ears are so used to a tonal center. Mm-hmm. You know, and even if I'm, and even if I'm playing, well, and even if I'm playing, you know, an atonal piece, which I'm usually, if I'm doing it, I'm accompanying somebody, usually a singer, you know, right. um, it, it's not the tonal center, you know, like I just, then I have to start looking for other patterns to latch on to, to make it easier for myself, you know. Um, but yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the composers I'm really into on that one, like, like will take elements of it. I mean, as I said, you can even listen to John Williams scores and he's kind of taking advantage of it at times, you know, uh, Hans Zimmer for sure. You know? Oh and yeah. Hans Zimmer does so that a lot. So it he is did, definitely, he did the soundtrack for, um, Hans Zimmer did the soundtrack. Oh, remind me he did for Inception and there was another one. 
I mean, I think the big one that everyone's going to know from him, more or less, would probably be Gladiator. Oh. Which, I mean, he is taking a bit more from uh, Mahler and... Um, oh, who did, the, who did the planets? Oh, my God. I should know this. Gustav Hall, uh, Gus, uh, Holtz. Holtz the planets. Ah. Uh, so he does take a lot from that one. But, yeah, no, no, like the Inception soundtrack. I mean, he's been on a lot of the superhero movies in the past couple years uh Which you know, ones? The, dark, the dark knight movies oh, uh, spider-man right. man of steel um you know i mean like really there's a lot to say about it you know Hans zimmer too he's been kind of like in a lot of movies for like the past 20 or 30 years kind of uh, i think he's like a more important composer than we like to think he is you know <laughs> right right because he does kind of get like pigeonholed into oh he's the guy who just goes wham you know <laughs> <laughs> he does though he does do you know, that he does but he does it quite well you know he does it quite well you know i mean he's but, the guy who goes wham <laughs> um i mean there's like i'm thinking of horror movie soundtracks too you know there's that uh you know you ever hear that like man i wish i knew the name of it it's 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 kind of the piece you hear anytime you see like a bunch of like insects on a screen in a horror movie and you just hear like oh popping yeah 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 you know things like that um or if you're watching 2001 a space odyssey they'll use like the music of messian in there as well you know with a yeah. lot of it you know they'll also use a lot of strauss in that movie too so it's oh, so <laughs> much strauss now strauss was not atonal he was still tonal correct yeah he was he kind of like um he's one of those composers who kind of like uh Richard strauss is kind of like in that place of He's in between eras, so like sometimes he gets he was, left out of the conversation. He was a late romantic, and he was apolitical. Um, mm -hmm. Richard Strauss was interesting. He did the, he did tone poems, so it was music that he felt was inspired by, uh, you know, that ba 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 da. That was from um, Nietzsche's work. Or for anyone, I think it's like, uh, uh, you know, like oh god, who who used to use that as intro music like his his song has been used by entrance music for so many people like there's uh oh god rick flair for some reason uses his entrance <laughs> music uh liberace used, you know, i think like elvis did too at some point i mean oh like it's god. it's a very it's a very popular it's also in um um 2001 a space odyssey yes, you know? so yes. it's but yeah, no, he did the, he did a lot of tone poems. Like he, he really kind of straddled that line. And so like his music isn't maybe as tightly focused in one camp or the other. So I know sometimes it's not that people don't talk about him. He just sometimes gets left out of the conversation. Why do you think that is? Uh, you know, I think it's just like, well, if you start talking about romantic composers, well, then you got to talk about Mahler, you know, Rachmaninoff, you know, and, and all the, you know, the many lists, you know, even if we're talking about orchestral music, you know. Right. Um, and then, you know, if you're talking about the modern composers, well, you, know, you got Schoenberg, Berg, Henry Cal, like a whole bunch of these names, and he doesn't really fit into either camp. So it's just kind of that need for us to be able to categorize, and he's not quite as easy to categorize. Oh, I got a text from my mother. This has nothing to do with this. Ooh. She is getting a rotisserie chicken. Do I want some in a half hour or so? I mean, yes. I ate a whole bunch of crap for lunch. Not that everyone needs to know this, but... You know what? Okay. A rotisserie? No. Yes. I want, I want some of a rotisserie <laughs> chicken. 
a, a free rotisserie chicken does not always present itself to you. Seize the day. Seize the moment. Live your life. YOLO. <laughs> I really need to go to the gym tomorrow then. But you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to take the day off from now. What do you think? <laughs> uh, you got to every once in a while. Well, I didn't go to the gym yesterday. Um, I don't think oh, I'm going to go Oh, well, today. then. Uh, mm. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, uh, okay, okay. Tomorrow's yeah. another day, Jeffrey Hampton. Tomorrow is another day, another victory. And, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, no, um, no. that was entirely yeah. But hey, that also goes in the world of atonality, right? Just random. Just, ah, yeah, it does feel a little random sometimes. Sometimes, you know. <laughs> um, I think, though, there's... There, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, you know, like, you know, we're not even touched about the composers who kind of helped led to it, you know, like some of the Russians, like Prokofiev. Oh, I yes. mean, you mentioned, you mentioned Scriabin, you yeah. know, like Scriabin's in there, Prokofiev, Shostakovich, you know. Well, um, so they, well, and some of them, they were ethnomusicologists. So in order to actually, uh, like Bartok was one of them. He was, he was the one who actually, I think he laid the groundwork mm -hmm. for musicology, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But the only way that they were able to actually take down the uh, accurately record the music pieces that were made by it was usually the Romani people, um, people that lived like what mm -hmm. Yugoslavia and all those different and Serbia, those countries. They and you know, Bartok. The, the important thing to mention was is like he's doing this work because he's very interested in folk music. Exactly. So, but folk music doesn't follow the rules of the Western tonality system. No. So, so yeah. In a lot of cases, like, you know, sometimes it's just, like, because they're not trained in the same way, you know, not the same level of preciseness. I mean, it's almost like something you also will find in pop music a lot of times where, like, um, you know, the song itself is, like, written in the major, you know, a major mode, but the singer themselves are kind of going in and out of minor, and it's just because, like, they don't have that hyper-focused training to always fully kind of be in control of it. And that's not anything against them because it like creates a really interesting sound. Or they're just, you know, putting in some random stuff like Burp! Yeah. <laughs> All those re weird random noises. You know, oh my, like, I always uh, hated what my, I, Cardi B is just kind of irritating. <laughs> she really, she, she is, it's, it's what it is. But uh, it just, that always cracks me up when she talks in It's like, what in the world? Just, I'm sorry. And then I always hate the thing that Michael Jackson did. He always went, -ta, -ta. What about the yee -hee? Yee -hee. <laughs> I hated that. Ah, I just, I don't understand why everybody. Shabone, Shabone. <laughs> like, why? I was like, I always want to make sure, are you okay, buddy? Do you have a neurological condition that you're suffering from? Like, why does Who he always have to think? <laughs> I can't listen to Michael Jackson songs because he's always going, -ta, -ta, -ta. Oh, it drives me nuts. Doesn't it drive you nuts? Like if you made it, okay, I have a rule and I, I, I put this on my comments on Facebook too. I have a rule and it's, it was in relation to all of these register to vote ads we've been seeing. And <laughs> I have a rule that if you see it so many times, or if it's mentioned so many times or done so many times that if you made a drinking game out of it, your life would be perilously in danger. I think it's excessive. I think that's a pretty good rule for moderation. What do you think? That's yeah, I would agree with you on that one. That's my that's my uh that's my rule. I'm like, ah yeah, you probably yeah. Yeah, you, 
it, you probably no. Yeah, it's a good rule, you know. I, I think that's a good one. I think that's a good rule for determining moderation. If you made a drinking game out of it, and it might give you alcohol poisoning, it's probably excessive. So what? So if- then, um, I need to just never tell you about the Power Rangers drinking game. What is the Power Mighty Morphin Power Rangers drinking game? What? Yeah, you know, so you pick a couple episodes of Power Rangers, and I mean, you only need like one. Trust me. Um, and you basically drink every time they say, it's, this is like the original Power Rangers, you know. Um, every time they say morph in some way or another. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I played it once when I was in my real early 20s. And you know, we, we, we were watching like it was like the first, maybe the second episode and, like, you're supposed to have so many drinks depending on who says it. And then all of a sudden, one of the characters just says, that was more fortuitous. And my friend looks at me with this look of horror. And he's like, how many drinks do we have to drink for that one? I'm just <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Just just finish the whole drink, man. That's. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, you have to seriously worry about alcohol poisoning because you're just like, mm. Yeah, so let's just go officially on the record and say we do not recommend playing these games. And no, nor, no, nor, and like, nor do I, I don't recommend... think either one of us, neither one of us, can play them anymore on any. No, <laughs> no, and neither neither of us recommend using my rule of moderation. I do not recommend actually doing that to figure <laughs> out if something is moderate or not. Don't, don't. It's just don't, don't actually don't actually do it. Just, just think about it you know if you have to if the thought crosses your mind hey i might end up alcohol poisoning just just stay away from it yeah please don't don't do drugs kids (laughs) that's right jeffrey the pianist says don't do drugs you're a 1980s infomercial now i'm a 1980s infomercial mascot thank you very much But yeah, no, that's my rule. It's like you you couldn't you could not every time he's saying I hate that in his songs. I absolutely hate it. Oh, uh, I gotta say I'm sw- I have a soft spot for Michael Jackson's music. Oh, well thankfully I'm I haven't offended you. Oh, call the offense police. Oh no, I don't care. You know, like that that dude did enough to hurt his own like legacy, you know, or whatever yeah, yeah. was screwed up though because he was always he was a product yeah he was, he, not, he was a he wasn't so much a human as much as he was a puppet and a product and you know he was turned that way very young and it obviously screwed with him no uh, i yeah it yeah that's rough but <coughs> excuse me i don't i've had yeah anyway so do you have any good final thoughts that you want to share on atonality I'm not an expert on it. Uh, I think Vazek uses atonality really well. I know people who have done composing with atonality, but I feel like too much of it is a little bit polarizing for people wanting to get into classical music, especially like, I think if I would say anything to modern composers, I'd be like, just cool it on the atonal stuff. People just don't enjoy it as much as a tonal center. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. They don't enjoy it as much outside of the college setting, you know, where you're literally kind of studying that kind of stuff you know a lot of people want you know like they they want to be able to enjoy it you know and i mean there's something to be said for something that you enjoy over time there's nothing wrong with that but like man we're, we're kind of scaring people off at the same time too and that's also not good 
That's what I think. And you know, I'm sure there's going to be, I can probably think of a couple people that are actually going to be offended by me saying that, but I, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That doesn't mean I don't even find value or interest in it. It's just. I mean, we've literally kind of went from, oh man, we are going to rag on atonal music to and be like, yeah, it's actually pretty cool. It actually like, yeah. it actually works really well for certain things. So I, I do thing. have, hmm? go ahead. Oh, you go with your final thoughts. You're good. My final thought is this. I just want to tell people out there, I can't live one day without hearing music, playing it, studying it, thinking about it, and sharing my thoughts and feelings with telemarketers. <laughs> is, that, is that Bernstein again? Leonard Bernstein. Okay, see, see I have, <laughs> this is how I'm going to describe this episode of the podcast. Atonality locusts and telemarketers. I mean, that's a good title right there. Atonality, locusts, and telemarketers. It's like planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> oh my God, I love that scene. Where is it John Candy? John yeah. Candy, mm-hmm. John Candy with the guy who played in um, Father of the Bride. What was that guy's name? Steve Martin. Yeah, I love the part where they're in the tunnel and he's driving through and he's gonna, it looks like he's going to have a head-on crash with the, with the semi and it's so funny. And Steve Martin turns to him and he just, it's this flash of lightning and he's dressed up in that devil costume and he's going, ha, 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 ha. I love that scene. It is so funny. <laughs> I've got to go watch that movie. I'm thinking every day. You have to watch that movie. That's what that's 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 what's gonna happen. Have you seen it? It's been a while. Like you know, it's one of those movies I saw as a kid. You know. Oh, everybody has the car seat here. Oh, I gotta watch it again. <laughs> I don't want the audio to come through the recording, but oh, I gotta watch that after this is done. So funny. I love that where he's just turning him. He's in this devil costume. <laughs> Oh my god. That accidentally made my day. My cat just came in. She's concerned. <laughs> He's looking at me like, excuse me. There's no reason for all this. <laughs> but all right. Well, I think oh, that's man. gonna wrap it up for us. All right. Well, thank you for having me on yeah, again. Thank you for coming back. And thanks for talking with me about atonality. And so maybe if we've done our job, we've maybe offended a few people. Maybe we are in We've line offended to get- a few people. We've won a few people over, and maybe just maybe we learned a little bit of something about ourselves. Oh, oh, Excuse me while I go hack up a hairball. For how cheesy that was? Yes, it was so che- it was so cheesy that if I was lactose intolerant, I couldn't keep talking to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Jeff. I'll, I'll let All you get right. to, get to your things you need to do. So thanks again for joining us. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you later.